0: Hello and welcome to Capital Compass. We are the official podcast in the New York State Catholic Conference. I'm your host Jillian. Today in episode 22, I'll be talking with Molly Sheehan, Associate Director for Respect Life and Family Advocacy for the California Catholic Conference about California's Proposition 1 and being pro-life in blue states. Each October, the Catholic Church in the United States celebrates Respect Life Month. During this month, we're asked to reflect more deeply on the dignity of every human life. When we use the term of respect life, we don't just mean the beginning of life, but all aspects of life, from conception until natural death. To find resources on respecting life, you can visit our website, nyscatholic.org, or check out the list of links provided in the show notes. There, we have an abundance of resources on topics ranging from abortion, public policy, and Catholic teaching resources, to Catholic end-of-life, and everything in between. You can also contact your local Catholic Charities offices for more information. We'll be right back after a brief message. Are you interested in staying up-to-date with New York State legislation pertinent to the Catholic Church? Do you want your Catholic voice to be heard? Sign up for the Catholic Action Network by going to our website at nyscatholic.org slash Action Center or texting CAN to 50457. Again, CAN, C A N, to 50457. Today, Molly Sheehan joins us on the show. Molly is the Associate Director for Respect Life and Family Advocacy for the California Catholic Conference. She has had extensive experience in lobbying pro-life policy, foster care, human trafficking, domestic violence, bioethics, disability rights, elder care, and the death penalty. Additionally, Molly speaks nationally on human dignity concerns and is the founder of We Are Pro-Life Women, a new media movement highlighting the stories of underrepresented pro-life women. So in honor of Respect Life Month, we'll be chatting about California's Proposition 1 and being pro-life in blue states. So welcome. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Julian. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: All right. So uh, let's start out with this uh, one right off the bat. Many New Yorkers probably don't know what Proposition 1 is, but what is it and uh, why should people outside of California care? So Proposition 1 is our ballot initiative on the ballot this November
1: for Californians. Uh, We'll be voting on it November 8th, and it would enshrine a right to abortion in our state constitution that is completely unrestricted. So through all nine months of pregnancy without limit, removing any common sense protections for viable unborn children, including if the mom and baby are healthy. So uh, and it would be paid for by tax dollars. So unrestricted right to abortion, paid for by tax dollars, even on healthy moms and healthy babies all the way to the ninth month of pregnancy. It's just extreme. And unlike anything we've seen before, it could set a national precedent for it is to pass. And it would make it almost impossible for us to pass any laws, common sense laws, restricting abortion in the future.
0: I know you guys have been doing a lot, but can you talk about some of the actions uh, the California Catholic Conference is taking to oppose Prop 1 in your state and you know, what Catholics across the country can do?
1: Yeah, here at the Catholic Conference, we're part of the coalition that is fighting Proposition One and you know, the coalition's running a really robust social media campaign, really focusing on that grassroots efforts through diverse coalition of leaders of different faiths of no faith. Uh, But for the Catholic Conference in particular, we're focusing on activating Catholics. So we've shared bulletin announcements and flyers and pew cards in English, Spanish, Korean, Chinese, and Vietnamese for all of our folks across the state. We have, um, our bishops are leading us in a novena that ends on October 7th for the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, Our Lady of the Rosary, for the defeat of Proposition 1 and It's been really amazing, the outpouring of tens of thousands of people praying that novena with us uh, here in California and around the country. So even if you don't have a chance to participate in the novena, if you want to pray the novena prayer, that would be amazing for you to support. And then also just getting the word out for your California folks, if you can let them know what Proposition 1 does. A lot of California voters do not know that Proposition 1 would allow late-term abortion paid for by tax dollars. That's what this proposition would do, and the majority of Californians are opposed to it. Just like the majority of Americans are opposed to that. That's just too extreme, even for a progressive state like ours.
0: Uh, So, you know, with Proposition 1 going to voters in November, you know, California could be in a very similar situation as New York state is in regarding abortion laws. So can you kind of explain to our listeners why, why we're trying to stop this and why extreme abortion laws such as the ones proposed and the ones in place in New York are so dangerous? It
1: really focuses on what the impact these laws have. So here in California right now, abortions are legal up until the time of viability. And then after that, for the life and health of the mother, this would remove even that protection. It creates a number of different issues for California women. So at first, it would allow late-term abortion on healthy babies, which the majority of Californians and a majority of Americans are opposed to. But it also would require uh, the removal of doctors from these decisions because California allows allows for nurse practitioners and nurse midwives to be able to perform abortions. It could potentially allow non-practitioners, non-doctors to be able to perform these late-term abortions. It it removes that conversation. So that creates a real concern for the health of women. California is also inviting people from other states to come to California for these late-term abortions. And, And that really is a coercive effect of the state to say that The offer that we have for you is we will pay for your abortion as well as for your travel, your Uber, your flight, your hotel, your childcare while you have the abortion. But if you want to choose to be a parent, you want to be a mother you don't get those same kinds of supports. You don't get the ability to drive your child to childcare. You, your gas money will not be reimbursed. Uh, so really you're on your own. So it creates this coercive power of the state to say that the only offer that really is presented and that's really available for women is late-term abortion. And that's just not okay for women. Women deserve equitable support when they choose to be mothers.
0: Exactly. Governor Gavin Newsom, You know, similar to our governor in New York, Kathy Hochul, seem to be putting a lot of emphasis on abortion and, you know, so-called sanctuary state for abortion. How does it play, uh, you know, with the California citizens, you think, or, you know, has there been pushback? You know, a lot of
1: Californians, when when we've done focus groups and things have said, you know, this is what we should be doing, you know, we want women to be able to have support for abortion. But the reality is that Californians also don't want to pay for it. When they realize this is coming out of my paycheck, this is my money that I would be using for gas for meals, you know, especially for those most vulnerable Californians, the ones that are just trying to pay the rent, just put food on the table for their kids that money that should be in their pocket is going to pay for someone else's abortion and for their childcare and their doula support and their meals and their gas money when they have that abortion. That's that's not fair. That's not equitable. And it's it's not okay. And, um, you know, California has spent $200 million on abortion expansion just this year. That That's on top of what we already spend to pay for abortions through Medicaid and other means. So it's really a coercive power of the state. And the impact of that is that the the governor has said in vetoing a number of bills that would have helped mothers, he has said, no, we can't do expanded perinatal care for moms on Medicaid, um, you know, to pay for those additional visits and screenings. We don't we don't have that money in the budget. No, we can't pay for universal doulas that help black mothers, especially, to be able to have healthy births. No, we don't have that money in the budget. But we do have money to pay for your doula if you have an abortion. We do have money to pay for um, the training of physicians and non-physicians to perform abortions, but we don't have money to pay to train an an increase in mental health workforce here in California. It's this focus of abortion is the only thing that we're going to really provide, and we're not going to provide these other supports that are directly affected and and directly support moms and babies.
0: Exactly. Our New York State bishops put out a statement a few months ago about how obviously we are against abortion, but we also want to be helping these mothers. You know, there there needs to be a solution.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to say our California bishops have done the same, that, you know, the the bishops have have come together, all 12 of them across the state to say, Look, what we need to do is to say we stand by our sisters, we support women, children and families, and we have a different vision from California. Um, You know, back on uh, December eighth of last year, California's future of abortion Council wrote suggestions on how the state could expand abortion access, and many of those have now gone into effect through the legislature. And the bishops have said, no, that is not our vision. Our vision is not one where we only offer the the choice of abortion from the state. That when women choose to be mothers, we need to make sure that they have you know, expanded paid family leave, that they need to be able to find housing and rent assistance, that they, if they are incarcerated, that they should be able to have parenting classes and additional visiting hours so they can bond with their children, that children in foster care should be able to have an easier time finding connections to their biological families and those maintaining those familial ties. And that mothers, when they need support for those prenatal appointments, those postpartum appointments, that equitable access to healthcare for all Californians, that these are the things that we should be focusing our money on on because this is the stuff that would make Californians be able to thrive um, and succeed, and help our families to really grow and thrive here in California.
0: It's a big thing we want in New York State too, and I have a feeling it's also nationwide. It's so needed. Our families really are struggling. You know, we we know this. We've
1: seen this, especially post-pandemic. And so to really focus in on seeing what what do families need, the majority of the time the answer is housing and childcare. And so being able to address those things, as well as equitable access to healthcare that is able to help you to be able to thrive, families need that. That's crucial. So instead of focusing so heavily on promoting abortion and really not giving families that choice, when you push one choice as the only option, you really remove the option of choice for families. And so that creates no choice at all. So the goal really should be making it so that our families can thrive in, in our states through our, you know. Good schools, good health care, you know, good resources that families actually do need. A good child care system, paid family leave, all of those things that help families.
0: Exactly. And, you know, uh, us talking about this is no coincidence. Of course, October is Respect Life Month. Uh, and, you know, when we talk about the church and Respect Life, uh, we talk about the entire continuum of life. It's not just about the beginning of life, which I feel is sometimes you know mixed up in the in the narr- in the secular narrative. So can you tell me a little bit about the issues the California Catholic Conference is involved in that fall under that broad aspect of uh, respect life?
1: Yeah, so you know, when we talk about respect life, uh, you know, the, the old adage that it's womb to tomb really is true at every single stage of life, every human being has dignity, every human being is valuable and loved by God. And so our call is really to support a person throughout the lifespan, right? So from the unborn child to the child who is born and and is in early education to the child in foster care, um, you know, to our our families that are really struggling to the immigrants crossing our borders and coming into our states who, you know, are really trying to find a better life for their families, you know, survivors of human trafficking, those at the end of life, right? Um, Those who are incarcerated and you know, need uh, additional services so that they can be rehabilitated and, and, you know, engage in restorative justice. All of these things are things that the California bishops support. Care for creation, making sure that we really are respecting the environment and, and making sure that our society is one fit for human habitation, one that is, you know, that is able to be a space where people can grow and live and, you know, the, the, the real power of place. So, these are from from womb to tomb this is this is what the California Bishops advocate for and I'll just I'll just say you know for my portfolio this year in addition to opposing a lot of this abortion expansion, our goal has been to say what are we for? we are for paid family leave and we were able to pass an expansion a paid family leave that helps the lowest wage workers who before weren't able to take time off because they they didn't have uh, enough funds to be able to do so. We were able to pass uh, a support for homeless families and homeless pregnant women who before have not been prioritized under our state's welfare system that these families are the most vulnerable and they deserve to be able to to have a pl- safe place to sleep at night uh, as a family unit that keeps them together. We we, you know, have really supported things that will help foster youth to be able to maintain those family ties and make sure that there's there's the hope for reunification, especially for our poorest families in the state. You know, so all of these different things that benefit families, that benefit children. You know, that's really the goal of good policy is to make sure that our citizens are able to live full lives and, and live the lives that God intends for them. You know, really fulfill their vocation to love. That that's what the bishops support.
0: Now, you know, in the church, we do say womb to tomb. And kind of going off of that, in New York State, because they have so many pro-abortion laws in place now, you know, coming into this uh, 2023 legislative session, we are a little worried that they're going to start coming towards the end of life. Now, California has legalized assisted suicide. Uh, So, you know, what has been that impact in California? So we've seen
1: over time the number of people utilizing assisted suicide has increased. Um, right now, uh, the majority uh, tend to be older white males. But our concern is that a lot of the data that California collects about assisted suicide is not shared. So it's it's collected by the state and then it's destroyed within a few years. A lot of the data is is just not published. And so while we do know some things about. Who is utilizing the law and, and taking assisted suicide drugs? We don't know a lot of the things about who they are, about whether there was someone present when they died, about whether the person has a disability or is, you know, particularly part of a vulnerable group. We don't know a lot of those things, to, even though that data is collected. So, one of our goals is to say we need to know exactly who is taking these drugs to make sure that the safeguards that have been suggested are actually being utilized. We've also seen that there's been some advocacy groups saying, well, this needs to be expanded to people with Alzheimer's, people with dementia, people who have a serious illness that's not necessarily terminal. So the very safeguards that have been instituted around assisted suicide that have been promised to say, no, this is only for people with six months to live, well, a lot of the advocacy is going towards, you no, know, we want to expand it and remove those very safeguards. We saw a couple of years ago, there was a bill to require doctors to provide assisted suicide contrary to their conscience and um, even to you know, note that in the chart. And that was just struck down by the courts because if a doctor does not want to do that, they should not be forced to do so contrary to their conscience. So we're seeing this slow creep of, of assisted suicide saying first saying, well, it's only for people that are at the, you know, Six months to live. And now we're seeing it slowly expanded. And ultimately, we've even seen people with anorexia using the law from California. There was an article this year about a young woman who had been struggling with this dreadful disease of anorexia for such a long time. And she was able to be helped to utilize assisted suicide. So it's tragic, you know, instead of really making sure that this very vulnerable person gets the health care that she deserves so that she can um, be able to recover, you know, encouraging her. That her only option is assisted suicide. It's just, it's, it's a tragedy and it, it's something that should not take place. So I think that the concern really is that when we talk about how, you know, here in California we do have this, but there are safeguards, there's now a push to remove those very safeguards as, as if they are barriers to this law, which means that they were never safeguards to begin with.
0: Yeah, I think our New York State listeners really need to listen to this because if this comes up in our legislative session, a lot of the time, if you notice, California legislation in New York kind of bounce back and forth and they get a lot of their idea, you know, they share a lot of the same ideas. So if something starts in California, it'll probably go to New York, you know, something similar or vice versa. So it's something we really need to listen to and watch out for.
1: Yeah, it could be a risk for your state, especially for the most vulnerable New Yorkers, right? So here in California, the people that are, and, and what we've seen across the country in states that have legalized assisted suicide is that this is often encouraged as an option for the most vulnerable who are not able to afford to pay for health care or who don't have equitable access to excellent health care. It's encouraged for people who you know are not able to get good palliative care um, to manage their symptoms. And it, it's simply a rejection of what, what should be provided, which is excellent palliative care, excellent health care, hospice care for those that are at the end stages, excellent mental health care for those who are experiencing depression. Here in California, we don't know how many people have experienced a depressive episode prior to accessing assisted suicide drugs. And that you know, places such a risk that the people that are accessing these drugs and utilizing them are people that do have uh, mental illness. And clearly that is the case if someone with anorexia was able to to access uh, these drugs. So it's a real risk. And these are real people with real lives and real experiences who deserve to be protected from this kind of aggressive, aggressive law that is contrary to the dignity of the
0: human person. You said that perfectly switching a little bit as an outsider you know california seems like a very secular state uh you know even more so than new york you know i don't know you know obviously (laughs) different sides of the coast but you guys seem to have a very large latino population from what i read you know more than 15 million of your residents identify as latino so can you talk a little bit about the latino presence in california in terms of you know sustaining and and enriching the church?
1: So Latinos are the church in California. So we have 12 million uh, Catholics in California. So we are about a third of the state is Catholic, which is stunning that, you know, that's not even including the the numerous Christians in the state. So um, very, very large Catholic presence, but that Catholic presence is Latino. Like, and it, it influences every single aspect of California. Our celebrations for Our Lady of Guadalupe are massive. And it's just part of the fabric of the church that we celebrate her because she is our mother. We have the history of the California missions. And so the names of our cities throughout the state are, are named after saints. And they're in Spanish. You attend a lot of events, especially in Los Angeles, and the event will be bilingual. It just is. And, you know, our, our masses are in Spanish. And that influence of Latino Catholics is such a gift to our church because there is such a strong value of family and, and of culture that Latinos bring into the church. Um, this, this desire that I want my family to succeed, I want my family to thrive, that you know the tide that rises is one that rises with the entire family. that you know we are united and we're connected. And so I just, I see that as a richness that is brought into the church by our Latino community that I don't, I haven't encountered anywhere else in the country to this extent. And when I leave California, I miss it because it's just, it's, yeah, I I love it.
0: But I think that's important that you talked about very much the family unit within the Latino community and kind of circling back with abortion and everything in terms of respect life you know the family unit is very important and something that the catholic church tries to emphasize
1: absolutely you know and and for the latino community you know for our mexicans our salvadorans our our numerous different communities this is something that just is it's a value that you know, we we don't have abortions because because you no, know, you're you're my daughter, you're my sister, and you're part of my family, right? So like, we'll we'll help you. When we've talked about recruiting more foster parents here in California, what we found is when you talk to um, many of the Latinos, um, many have not been invited to be foster parents before. But when you offer this, um, when you say, "Hey, would you are you interested in being a foster parent?" So many our, our Latino families out responded our, our English speakers seven to one because they said, look, yeah, of course, there's a kid who wants a home and needs a home. And I have a home. I have a family. Of course, I want to welcome this child into my home. It just becomes something that is so beautiful and responsive of like, I belong to a family, we all belong to a family, and everyone deserves to know the love of a family. And it's it's something that everyone should experience. And our Latino families know that best of all.
0: So you've been working for the Catholic Church a little longer than me, and you're also the Associate Director of Respect Life and Family Advocacy, as opposed to uh, my media and advocacy over here in New York. And before this, you also worked for the Maryland Catholic Conference. You know, I've even noticed this in just being more on the media side, that there tends to be a lot of hostility towards, you know, pro-life people in blue states, especially, you know, I know I mentioned... To people, I work for the Catholic Church, and you kind of sometimes get like this eye roll. How do you deal with spreading the pro life message against all these obstacles, I suppose, um, from people? And, you know, what would you suggest to general pro life people who want, who, you know, face this hostility for their views?
1: Yeah, there's a few things that I've found to be helpful. I mean, the first is our our bishops when they launched our new campaign to support women, children and families, they called it we were born ready. And it just says like, this is who we are. This is who we've been as Catholics for our entire history. We serve the poor, we care for the most vulnerable. Um, We feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, (laughs) clothe the naked, visit the sick and imprisoned. That's who we are. And that's what we do. And that's what we've done as Catholics for for generations. We built the first hospitals, started the first universities. So that's in our DNA. And when I get to talk about that and say, hey, I'm here from the California Catholic Conference, the church is the largest provider of private nonprofit social services for education, for healthcare, throughout California, throughout the U.S., and throughout the world, that just elevates it. You're saying, this is who I represent. So something to remember is you have the entire history of the church and and the entire um, support of the Catholic community behind you, that this is, this is in our DNA, as we care for all people. So I, I love to remember that and just bring that to the table. Another thing that I notice is, you know, you don't want to, you can't be afraid. You know, the whole reason we call that we were born ready, part of that is, it, you know, really a clarion call. And it makes me think of Joan of Arc's statement when, you know, she was leading the armies of France, she, she stated, you know, I am not afraid. I was born to do this. And so that's how each of us have a baptismal call to respond, to serve the most vulnerable. Uh, and that includes the unborn, that includes people at the very end of their life, that these are people that need someone to stand up for them. So that's that's what we get to do. And then I think the other thing that we get to talk about is why we're opposed to these things, that this is, I represent a church. I, I am very religious, right? This is This matters to me there is deep reasoning behind the reasons that we are opposed to to abortion, to assisted suicide, to any attacks on the dignity of the human person. You know, when I talk about abortion, I talk about how this is reproductive coercion when we're pushing abortion without providing um, these equitable resources for mothers. You know, and that is something that can cross party lines. When we talk about assisted suicide, when we talk about it as something that is pushed by insurance companies on people who are the most vulnerable, the most economically downtrodden, the people that are most at risk. And so really trying to distill this into language that people can understand and the language that is current and is being used, saying, look, like you care about the poor, you care about the vulnerable, you care about immigrants and about families. We do too. And here's why. And here's why these issues are immigration issues. They are issues of poverty. Like these things cross all of these lines.
0: That's an excellent point. And I think, you know, um, we'll be talking about this on our podcast more as we get closer to the November election. But one of the big things is we don't endorse any party. My mom likes to use this phrase. She's a Catholic voter. And I think that puts it perfectly that we need to remind people that we are nonpartisan. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. We don't belong to a party. Our, you know, our, our top thing, as your mom says, it, she's a Catholic voter, the top thing is for us to be Catholics first. And what we bring to the table is encouraging each party, you know, all across the political spectrum to be more Catholic, to care more about human beings, to care about religious liberty, to care about creation, that these things matter. And that's what we get to bring to the conversation is the the values that our faith gives us that inspires us to to act
0: for our listeners uh we are both in the same age group um i believe in both of us are in our 20s and you know talking about that it can sometimes be difficult to go against the grain you know uh a lot of young females in our age group very much support abortion on demand you know how have how has that experience been for you
1: yeah, I I definitely lost a lot of friendships uh, over time just because I've I've been very outspoken about this for a long time. And it's hard, I'll admit that. But there's also this desire to say I as a woman I'm deeply offended at the pressure to support abortion as if that's the only thing that women are allowed to advocate for. It's deeply offensive. and um honestly, it's misogynistic to say that the only option for women is abortion, something that is violent, something uh, that that has been battled about here in the United States for so long. So I I, I reject that. And I just say, you know, no, like, I know the value of every single human being. I've discovered that for myself. And so I have the opportunity and the responsibility to speak up, to say, I, I reject aggressive violence, uh, including the violence of abortion, the violence of assisted suicide. And that things these things do not solve poverty. They do not solve homelessness. They do not solve domestic violence after the abortion, a woman is still in those same situations. After assisted suicide, the person is no more. Their struggles have not ceased. The person has ceased. So I reject these violent notions and instead want to see a world and build a world that is better and that values social justice. And that's something that our generation values deeply, is social justice. And you know, inviting people our age, I think, using the language of social justice and saying, yeah, you care about human beings, then that this is why you should work with us to, to be able to advance a more just society, because we all care deeply about these very issues.
0: Exactly. I've been uh, in very similar situations. And at the end of the day, what Respect Life Month represents is the human dignity of life. You know, life is important. <laughs> Life is important. You know,
1: we we reject racism because that's contrary to human dignity. We we reject, you know, solitary confinement and the death penalty because it's contrary to human dignity. You know, we reject unjust immigration practices and, and policies that leave people in desperate situations because that's contrary to human dignity. And so in the same breath, we also reject things that are are contrary to human dignity at the very beginning and very end of life. It's a consistent view uh, and one that that places the human person at at the center, that places the family at the center and says, this is how families thrive. So we we reject these violent views and then we say, look, here's what we want. We want families to be okay. It's all I'm asking for. Like I want people to be able to thrive in, in their communities. I want families to be able to stick together and everybody should be able to get behind those very values.
0: And I think that is a perfect place to end for people who know others in California who, who might be listening to our New York podcast in California. Um, to learn more about Proposition 1 and the work of the California Catholic Conference, you can go to www.cacatholic.org. And thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jillian.
0: Thanks for listening to the Capital Compass podcast. And thank you so much to Molly for coming on the show. Don't forget, you can find Respect Life resources through our website, nyscatholic.org. We've also provided some links in our show notes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be coming out with a new episode every other week. If you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To catch all the latest from the conference, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NYS Catholic Conf, and on Facebook at NYS Catholic Conference. Thanks again and God bless.